I will never predict Lou to just stand pat. So the Islanders have become uh, pretty good at not playing games this season. That person looks like someone trying to suck on a lemon. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 121. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please go and find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. The Islanders are not traveling out west right now, and I am not out in uh, uh, Seattle or Vancouver, uh, wherever they might have been tonight. Uh, But on this episode, I'll chat with NHL.com's Andy Ide, who covers the Seattle Kraken, as those two teams were supposed to play on Tuesday. And also, I've got a bunch of your questions lined up for Andrew's answers, but first, Hoping everybody had a healthy, health, happy, and a healthy holiday season, and wishing you all the best in 22. In 2022, obviously, Omicron has thrown us another curveball in this ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, but hopefully we can get through this latest phase quickly. And again, all I can say is I wish each and every one of you good health. And I I'd also uh, like to take a moment and send good thoughts and prayers to Islanders coach Barry Trotz, who's been absent this week for personal family reasons. Lane Lambert ran the bench for the Islanders last game, a 3-2 overtime win over the Oilers on Saturday. He's, uh, Lam- Lambert has also run practice this week. I'd certainly expect Barry Trotz to be back behind the bench for the Islanders next game, which will be hosting the New Jersey Devils on January 13th. But, uh, uh, you know, all I can say is I'm certainly thinking of Barry and his family at this time. And uh, I I know you've heard it from me, and and this is not an uncommon thought around the NHL, but Barry... uh, Barry is just one of the, 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 the best people you can meet, and uh, uh, like I said, I'm just thinking of him and his family right now, and, uh, you know, uh, hoping all the best for them, and uh, even though this is the first Island Ice episode since mid-December, and uh, I'm sorry for that pause, we really didn't miss that much, have we? Uh, the Islanders are currently in a stretch of just three games in 25 days because of all the postponements. Uh, it's Really incredible if you think about it, an NHL team playing three games in 25 days. They've had 10 games postponed since November 28th as the NHL scrambles to redo its schedule. Uh, That includes not going to Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary this week. And with attendance limited in Canada right now, the NHL is trying to push back as many games as possible rather than playing in front of limited crowds or no fans in the building, and that, that, that is what happened this week. Uh, the NHL just did not want to suffer the financial hit of playing before limited crowds in Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary, and the Seattle game got postponed as well because it just didn't make any sense for the NHL to send the Islanders cross-country all the way out to Seattle, Washington for one game and have them come back better to reschedule that Seattle game as part of a, a longer uh, Western road trip when, when the Islanders can get up to Vancouver and uh, you know also get that Edmonton and Calgary game in. And I'd probably expect that to be part 
of that three-week Olympic window in February where uh, a lot of games are going to be made up. But uh, uh, also, for instance, uh, you know, uh, the Islanders and Toronto Maple Leafs have swapped dates. So instead of the Islanders playing in Toronto on January 22nd, those two teams will now play at UBS Arena that night. And uh, the Islanders will instead go to Toronto on April 17th. Uh, the Islanders game at Philadelphia that was originally scheduled for number, November 30th will now be played on January 18th. But that forced the postponement of the Islanders' originally scheduled game for January 18th uh, as they were going to host the Blue Jackets. And also uh, the Islanders-Rangers game uh, at Madison Square Garden originally scheduled for November 28th will now be played on St. Paddy's Day on uh, March 17th. And uh, in all, the Islanders will play 54, their final 54 regular season games, or their final 54 scheduled regular season games, over a span of 107 days, starting on January 13th. And that is unless the NHL extends the regular season past April 29th or not all the teams get to play 82 games and the league goes to point percentage for uh, uh, NHL playoff inclusion. But so far, the uh, uh, any league personnel uh, when asked uh, about the possibility of either of those two options, uh, that person looks like someone trying to suck on a lemon. So I, I certainly think the NHL is going to do everything they can to finish the season on April 29th and have all teams play 82 games. And that's going to make uh, a very condensed scramble for the Islanders. Uh, it will be, you know, hard to <laughs> maintain, uh, uh, you know, it'll, it'll just be hard to navigate that stretch. And the Islanders have a, a lot of points to make up. Uh, the, the Islanders are 10, 12, and 6, and that's 26 points in 28 games, which is obviously far from good enough. You're, you're thinking in an 82-game season, uh, in the Eastern Conference, it's probably going to take about 98 points to get into the playoffs, somewhere around there. But the Islanders are on a 5-2-4 and four run, and the Islanders just can't worry about how many points they're out of a playoff spot when they resume playing because they have played the fewest games in the NHL uh, at 28. They're, they will have chances to make those points up, but if they start worrying about that, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to win here, we've got to get X amount of points in these games, they'll just play themselves out of contention. That'll be a mind game they can't win. Um, the, the team has been good. It's a cliche, but the team has been very good uh, under Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo and this coaching staff, Lane Lambert, of really just focusing on that day's task. And there's going to be, you're going to hear that a lot once they do start playing again. And you've heard it a lot during this uh, this. Uh, long stretch of practice, not just this week. They've they've practiced three times. They'll they'll certainly get in uh, several more practices before playing again. But you, you've this stretch of uh, three games in twenty five days, and earlier during that thirteen game road trip, they had 
uh, stretch, if my memory serves, of one game in 11 days or one game in 10 days there, uh, one game in seven days and another stretch. So the Islanders have become uh, pretty good at not playing games this season. What they need to do is uh, start getting more wins. And uh, since December 7th, again, 5-2-4, and four, you've seen signs that the Islanders are starting to accumulate points on a more consistent basis. But here's the problem as I see it. Who are the Islanders knocking out for a playoff spot? There's enough of a sample size now to be fairly confident that the Capitals, Hurricanes, and Rangers are are not going anywhere. I, I don't see any of those three teams plummeting down the standings over the second half. And, and the Pittsburgh Penguins are also hanging tough, uh, although not in that top three in the division. So I, I really don't see the Islanders being able to climb all the way back into the top three of the division for one of those guaranteed playoff spots. I do, however, see the Islanders being able to be very competitive in the wild card race. But again, there's, there are not a lot of seats in this game of musical chairs. If the Penguins can't crack the Metropolitan Division's top three, I, I'd say they're an odds-on favorite right now to take one of those two wild card spots. And I, I don't think uh, over in the Atlantic Division, I don't think the Lightning Panthers or Maple Leafs are going to falter either. And then you have the Bruins pushing as well. And, and the problem with the Bruins as it relates to the Islanders is they also have games in hand on the rest of the league. So, But as for the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference, I, I really don't see the Red Wings, Flyers, Blue Jackets, or Devils as real playoff contenders. Um, so while it looks like the Islanders have to jump over a lot of teams, I, I think a lot of those teams the Islanders will jump over. But it, it really comes down, can the Islanders surpass the Penguins or Bruins? And, and that, that's a, a big question right now. On the plus side, uh, look, the Islanders are getting healthier, though the continued absence of top-pair defenseman Ryan Bullock is considerably concerning. He was hurt on November 15th. He was, only, he was expected to miss four to six weeks, and he's not even practicing with the team yet as he's exceeded that time span. But uh, So, like I said, that is, that is concerning. Um, but Semyon Varlamov has shaken off his slow start to the season after missing training camp in the preseason with the knee injury. So the goaltending is solid with Ilya Sorokin. The defense has gotten better as the pairs have been solidified. I still think Lou Lamarillo looks to acquire some defense help. Uh, before the trade deadline on March 21st, but the, the structure has been much more representative. And I'm talking about since, you know, since the calendar went to December of, uh, of how the Islanders like to play. And offensively, the goals are coming, uh, specifically because the power play is working quite nicely. They, they've scored 13 goals in their last four games and 31 over their last 10, which, doing quick math, that's a, a goals per game average of 3.1, which is considerably higher than the Islanders' overall goals per game average of 2.3. The Islanders only scored 33 goals in their first 18 games, and 
Now their once anemic power play has scored goals in four straight games. And uh, per team statistician and historian Eric Kornick, that's the first time the Islanders have done that since October 2018. And, and the power play is a very dangerous nine for 26 over their last 10 games. That's that's scoring at a 35% clip. And when the uh, Edmonton Oilers came in for Saturday's game, a, a 3-2 overtime win for the uh, for the Islanders, the, the Oilers' power play was ranked first in the NHL, and it was going, I think, at 31.2%. So 35% is outstanding. Uh, now, look, obviously, I don't expect the Islanders to finish, you know, to, to continue uh, scoring at 35%, but... Uh, if even if they're at 26, 27 percent, uh, a huge improvement for this team, and and that should spur the offense a little bit more. Also spurring the offense steadier lineups with uh, you know players coming out of COVID nineteen protocol. Brock Nelson uh, getting healthy, then going into COVID protocol, but he'll be back. Uh, the puck movement on the power play has been really, really good. Uh, and, and I'm loving the confidence shown lately by Kiefer Bellows and defenseman Noah Dobson, who scored his first career overtime winner against the uh, Oilers. Neither one of those can be overlooked. Matt Barzell has two goals and 11 assists over his last eight games. Now, that does not count officially as a point streak, as an eight-game point streak per the NHL, because Barzell missed three games while in COVID protocol. But he has a point at least one point in his last eight games. Uh, as I mentioned, Brock Nelson, he's tied with Captain Anders Lee with 10 goals, and uh, he'll be back uh, from COVID, presumably, to face the, the Devils. He's practicing again. Anders Lee has six goals in the last eight, eight games, and that's including three on the power play. Now, Look, I, I can't sugarcoat this. More goal production is needed from veterans Josh Bailey, Zach Parisi, and Kyle Palmieri, all who have one goal apiece through the first 28 games. Uh, Josh Bailey is second on the team with 11 assists, so he is contributing. Um, and, and I'm, sh I know I'll be talking about this a lot more in Andrew's answers. But first. It was my pleasure to talk with Andy Ide, as I mentioned. He does such a fine job covering the Seattle Kraken for NHL.com and ESPN Radio. He, he's beyond, he has been on the media scene covering Seattle and the Western Hockey League for almost a decade, and that includes uh, Matthew Barzell's junior career uh, in Seattle. So, um, like I said, I got to chat with Andy, and uh, here's what we discussed. And as I said, I'm, I'm very happy to be joined by Andy Ide, who's covering the Seattle Kraken for NHL.com and ESPN Seattle Radio and has been part of the Seattle hockey scene and, uh, and uh, the Western Hockey League before the, the Kraken came into the NHL going back. How many years is that, Andy? Well, I probably, probably like eight years, I think. This would have been my ninth if I were still doing that, yeah, covering the Seattle yeah. Thunderbirds. Yeah, and the obviously the uh, uh, we'll get into this, but Andy covered uh, the Islanders' Matthew Barzell as he was a Seattle T-Bird. But first, in, in general terms, can, can you kind of paint the picture? Obviously, the Islanders are not going to Seattle to play this week, but 
they will make it out there. We're supposing at some point this season. What's this first season been like uh, covering the Kraken? Well, I mean, for for all of us here that were already into hockey and waiting for this, it's been great. It's been as as, as expected. Uh, you know, they've done a good job. The Kraken, even though they're not they're not, they're having troubles on the ice, they have done a good job of getting fans excited. The atmosphere in the building has been amazing, even on nights where they're losing. Uh, you know, and there's this, you walk around the town, you see people in cracking shirts and hats and jerseys. And uh, for a life, for a long, lifelong hockey fan who's been hoping that would come here in Seattle for a long time, it's, it's just been amazing to see that uh, the city transform and uh, start to become a hockey team a little bit or hockey town a little bit. And, and how is Climate Pledge Arena? Now, obviously, there was a lot of interest here uh, in that yeah. arena as well, because Oakview Group did both UBS Arena and Climate Pledge. And I know talking to Tim Laiwicki, he was you know, commuting back and forth across the country, <laughs> trying to, you know, birth two arenas. What, what do you, I mean, it's a little bit different. This is, you know, it's not built from the ground up. It's, it's a renovated or reconstructed or however you want to phrase it. <laughs> but but what, what what's that arena like? Uh, yeah, they'll tell you it's a new arena. So if for those unfamiliar, uh, the old key arena, which was there before where the Sonics played uh, before their departure, uh, it, it was outdated, and and so that that's been the big hang-up. The NHL just it wasn't NHL uh, uh, sufficient, you know, because they had to they had a junior team there. The Thunderbirds played there, where they couldn't they couldn't make hockey work in it. Um, but the Oakview Group had an idea; they had to keep the roof because it's a historical landmark. So that obviously presents some problems if you want to build a brand new arena with a roof that's already there. So they they suspended that roof. With a, with a series of columns, they held it up in place. It's 44 million pounds is how heavy it is. And they destroyed everything underneath it. <laughs> so from that sense, it is a brand new arena because they destroyed everything that was there before. They dug down 50 feet and out 85 feet. So they, they increased the footprint, which in, increased capacity. And then they built back up and reconnected it to the roof. So if you go from the outside of it, it looks like the old key arena. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been touched up a little bit. They've added an atrium on one side, but it's the same looking building. It's in the same exact spot. But once you go inside, immediately you know it's a brand new arena. And it cost a billion dollars, uh, you know, a billion with a B. It was, it was all privately financed by Oakview Group and some others. But uh, it's spectacular in there. You know, they built it in a way that it's, it, it holds uh, like seven, just over 17,000. So it's on the smaller side for an NHL arena. But they built the seats that go, they go straight up. So the fans are on top of the ice, on top of the players. It gets super loud in there. Uh, you know, Vince Dunn scored the first goal in there back in October, and I've never heard a building be that loud. It, it, I mean, it was just it just kind of gave you the chills. There's some unique features that they put into it. They're, they're, they have two jumbotrons instead of one, so there's so there's nothing hanging over center ice. The two jumbotrons <laughs> each each take over one of the one of the uh, offensive zones, so that's a little bit unique. Um, they have on the north side uh, a bunch of windows, the original windows that were on the outside of the old building. And you can see right outside into the Seattle Center. Fans actually, people can see into the building from there. They don't close the windows. They don't put a curtain up during games. From what I've been told, and people are calling that Tidewater Terrace, because you can see about three quarters of the ice from there, standing there. <laughs> uh, you can't see. It's come, plays coming at you. You can't see the one goal closest to you, but you could. But you can see one of the jumbotrons. So in theory, you could watch a game outside in the cold. Uh, for no cost <laughs> so yeah it's been spectacular players love it visiting teams have loved it um that window by the way if you come for morning skate it's got this nice outdoor natural light feeling to it it's it's been it's, it's a pretty spectacular arena well like i said I, i'm I, I was really looking forward to uh 
uh, being out in Seattle. <laughs> I think the last time I was in your city was uh, in 2000, uh, 2001, uh, 2001 for the uh, Yankees Mariners series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, so it, it's been a while since I've been out there. I love the city. I love being out there. Um, but it will be played hopefully sometime in the future. What uh, we, we talked a little bit about this before recording, but obviously the, 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 the big story here is Matthew Barzell coming back. He plays four seasons with the Seattle Thunderbirds starting when he was, when he was 15, correct? Or uh, his first year was 16. They signed him at 15. Yeah. Okay. So how big a deal was that in Seattle to, to have Matt Barzell come back? Well, it was a big deal within the hockey community. community. And I, you know, so we have a mix of fans here for, for the crack. And you have the longtime hockey fans who have been following the, the Western Hockey League. And we have two teams in the region uh, directly, like within 40 minutes of downtown. You have two Western Hockey League teams uh, with the Everett Silvertips. So those fans uh, love the sport, know the players. They know who Matthew Barzell is. And I think you're going to see a lot of Islander 13 jerseys in the, in the arena that night. You'll see some Seattle Thunderbird jerseys with number 13 in, that, in the building that night. Uh, there's a lot of excitement for any of those old players who come back. You know, and we just had an experience where Dustin Wolf, the goaltender for Calgary, got called up and was the backup, and he played at Everett. And there was a, there was tons of Everett fans there. It was very exciting for those folks. So, yeah, there there was going to be buzz for Barzell, and I think that would have been a big draw for a lot of people. Then you have the fans who don't know who the Western Hockey League is and probably don't know who the connection Matthew Barzell has to Seattle. But uh, when he was here, I mean, he he got you know the Western Hockey League is still pretty niche for the most part. Uh, in the sports market here, because you have you know NFL and NBA, and, uh, you know Major League Baseball and all that, um, some major college programs. So you know the junior hockey was kind of down the totem pole. Uh, but you know when Barzell was here, he was a star. They won the Western Hockey League championship when he was there, and that got some notoriety. So his name is out there, even among the the, the maybe the not so hardcore fans. And, and knowing Matt like you have, you know, since he was a teenager, how. How excited or how big a deal do you think it was for him to, to come back? I know he, you know, obviously grew up in the Vancouver area. That that that's that's really his hometown in a way, you know, Vancouver, Seattle. How how excited do you think he was knowing him? I'm sure he would have loved it. I haven't talked to him, obviously, but you know, yeah, you're right though. He he has a lot of ties to this region. Um, I'm sure there would have been a lot of uh, ticket requests for him. I, I'm sure he would have had a lot of friends and family coming either coming down from Vancouver or people he got to know uh, here while he played for Seattle. You know, the Winnipeg Jets just came through, and Brendan Dillon played for them. He played for the Thunderbirds, and he had – he's also from Vancouver, so a very similar situation. And he had, he said he had a ton of people, you know, family, billets, uh, you name it, friends that he went to school with while he was here. So I think I think there would have been a large Barzell contingent there. And so, you know, I, I, I knowing him, I'm, I'm sure he would play it down on the record. <laughs> if you ask yeah. about it, he would – he would give you the standard. Oh, you know, it's yeah, it was it was a good time there, but I'm really just want, want to win the game. But I think he deep down he probably would have loved it, and probably would have loved if he scored a couple goals or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think he would like to. I think he would like to do that here too. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I'm sure that would have been a thrill for him, or it will be when he when he when eventually does happen. When when you watch his game today, and obviously you know he's you know he's 24 now, so he's a man compared to when he was a teenager. Where, where do you see the biggest jump in his development from, from when he started with you covering him? I think, I think just uh, his, like his strength and strength of the puck, you know, not that he was ever, you know, uh, you know, not strong or easy to knock off the puck, but you know, when he was 17, 18, he wasn't the, he didn't have the physicality that he has now. And so that's a little bit of a surprise uh, 
we're not surprised, but that's that's where you see his evolution a little bit. But it's always shocked me since he jumped to the NHL how he's pretty much playing the similar game that he played in junior. You know, when you, you I watch a lot of junior hockey, when you see a star player or, or a hot prospect and he does something spectacular, you say, "Yeah, that was a great play, great move, a lot of skill." But you know, he's doing this against other seventeen and eighteen year olds. There's no way that can he can do that against the NHL players. And then year one, he was da- you know dangling around the zone and holding onto the puck and taking one of those Barzell resets we used to always call him, you know, where he was just doing it by himself. And and you still see that out of him. So uh, that's been, that, that's that been the most surprising thing to me is how he's pretty much playing the same game he played in junior. And now he's just doing it against, you know, the best players in the world. Uh, one, one of the things Barry Trotz has been in, trying to impress upon Barzy since, you know, day one with Barry, with the Islanders is to get, Matt to shoot more and you know obviously looking at his stats when he was with the the Thunderbirds the assist far outweighed yeah. the goals was that you know did did was that just part of a game he just never you know developed as much uh, looking to shoot he's got a great shot when he when he chooses yeah. to do it and and uh, yeah they're they're I mean especially his last year here in Seattle I think he only had 10 goals but he had something like 70 assists or something some insane number like that mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he just always – I think he's a pass-first guy, and he's always kind of been a pass-first guy. Um, I know they did want him to shoot more here in Seattle, uh, but they were winning games, and, you know, his line mates, you know, both of them have pro contracts now, so they probably owe him a little bit. But <laughs> uh, one's in the NHL, and uh, Vegas' is Keaton Colesar played on Barzell's wing. Uh, it was a big body, and I just think that was just – I mean, he it was working for him and, you know, made him dangerous. He, he has so much skill that he would draw players in, which left everybody else open. You know, and he made the right play. And, but yeah, they did want him to shoot a little more here. So it's, it's a very similar refrain. Um, <laughs> and ironically, he's, you know, he scored a little more. First year, I think he had 20 some goals. He never hit that mark in the Western Hockey League, which is kind of amazing for a talent like his. But, uh, you know, yeah, so that's still the same. Um, I think he just likes making those passes. He likes being the playmaker. And, uh, but, but it's not like he doesn't have a shot. Like you, we've all seen it, we've all seen examples that he can shoot the puck when he wants to. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, he's got a wicked wrist shot when he unleashes yep. it. And uh, I mean, he had that game uh, two games ago where he took eight shots on net, didn't miss at all. You know, he, he, no no blocked shots, no missed shots. <laughs> he, he, he does have a very good shot. You know, one of the other things Barry Trotz always talks about is you need the right type of player to play on Matt Barzell's line. You can't just throw any winger out there. You need a guy who sort of intrinsically understands what, what Matt Barzell is trying to do. And, and the Islanders had a guy like that in Jordan Everly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through Matt's uh, first few seasons with the, uh, with the Islanders. How is, how, how's Ebbs doing with the uh, Kraken? And, uh, you know, how big has he become in that room uh, for this expansion team? Yeah, he, you know, he's had a great season, had a great start. Um, scored a bunch of goals. Uh, he, you know, he, he's probably the, probably their best offensive player right now, as far as it may be goal scoring. He either and Jared McCann, maybe, uh, but yeah, everybody's been great. Uh, we love him in the media because he gives really thoughtful, really great yeah. answers as you probably know. Um, but he's a great guy to talk to, you know, after practice or after a game, uh, you know, and he, he wearing an A on, on the Jersey. So he's not the captain, but he definitely, you know, sounds and acts and, and plays like a captain would. So, you know, Mark Giordano is the captain right now, and, and we'll see. He's in the last year of a contract, could could easily get traded. But if, if Giordano's not there, I definitely see Eberly as the next captain of the Kraken. So uh, he, he's been a fan favorite. You know, he had a hat trick in the first month of the couple of weeks of the season. That was 
you know, that's the first one in the crack in history. So that'll he'll always go down for that. Uh, you know, and yeah, he just seems like a great guy. That seems like the teammates all love him and, and he's producing. I, obviously, you know, I, I, when, when the, when the Kraken are putting together who they want to take in the expansion draft, did you get the sense covering it that when they saw Jordan Everly there amongst the Islanders unprotected, that that sort of became a no brainer for him or, or was there some real debate as to which way they wanted to go? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, me and some colleagues, we did a bunch of mock drafts that whole season. Uh, and it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I think I had three picks right, and one of them was Jared McCann, but it was from a different team because he got traded. But um, <laughs> I, I try to remember who I had from the Islanders. But it, it's you know it, it was hard to guess who where, what route they were going to go. You know they had a couple ways they could go. They could have gone for more veteran, higher price players, and tried to win right away, or yeah. they you know they could go maybe some younger, maybe some unproven players who don't cost as much and, they, and give themselves a lot of cap flexibility. They ended up choosing the the ladder there. Uh, you know, they they have right now almost eight million dollars under the cap, and they've got about fifteen guys who were in the last year of a contract. So they could be a very interesting team next year, or next offseason. And so that's the route they went. So Everly, I mean, they didn't want to, but they also wanted to, you know, ice a team that they thought could compete, maybe win some games. So a guy like Everly makes a lot of sense there. Uh, he's a veteran player. He, you know, he he's he's been around. He was a top round, you know, top pick before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it has been through everything, and I think they they valued that um, uh, from him. And he, you know, he can still play. He can still he's a guy who can still score and, and still provide offense for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's it's been a little bit of a hole in the Islanders lineup. Mm-hmm. Not not having <laughs> you know they they've been trying to get someone. Obviously, Kyle Palmieri wasn't scoring on on mm-hmm. Barzell's wing. So you know, I, I think that obviously you're going to lose someone there. But that that one seemed to hurt. And do you? You know, I, I don't know whether you were able to talk to Jordan, you know, leading into this week. Did you get any sense of, you know, how excited he might have been to to face the Islanders or? Uh, you know, I don't, you know, it's funny asked about him specifically. We haven't asked him that yet. I'm sure those questions would have come, you know, tomorrow at practice. Right, right. We've been through this almost every night uh, with the crack yeah, in there. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this last week, the, the Flames were here. So it was all about Giordano. So uh, I'm sure Everly would be the next one. But early in the season, about a, about three weeks ago now, they were in Florida, and Chris Drieger, the goalie, got the start in Florida, the team he played for last year, and and was the first one to beat them at home. Uh, yeah. Kraken won that night. He was brilliant. And but everybody, after the game, everybody said they were all happy for him, and he said that those kind of things really bring the team together. Every one of us has a situation like that this year, and we all we all get behind that player. So it's been a team bonding thing. Uh, it, you know, if you if you were to come out here and watch them in practice, the before the, Everly, the Islanders game, Everly would be leading the stretches after practice. Like whoever the player is who's playing his former team gets to lead the stretches. So they're, they're making a thing out of that. Um, not that that's revenge. You know, I asked one player, Morgan Geeky, if it's possible to not take being exposed uh, personally, but still have it be a motivating factor. And he said, absolutely. You know, that's their business, but I would like to take it to him tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure everybody would have a similar uh, stance. Like it's not personal. I understand. I love my time there. Yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to beat him too. So <laughs> <laughs> sounds like there's a lot of money up on the board for every game. <laughs> yeah, <it> could be. <laughs> yeah. They really, I mean, they literally have the quote unquote revenge game almost every night. So, um, you know, this is this has been an odd season. You know, it's been three odd seasons now. Yeah. But how how is it for an, an expansion team to to navigate this, where you know you don't know whether or not you know teams are going to be able to come in? Because I imagine 
you know, certainly now with the Canada situation, there are a lot of teams certainly from the East that are going to play the Kraken and then go up to Vancouver. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that could lead to more postponements depending on what happens in Canada. Yeah. I think we've, I think that we've had four or five postponed already. And, and, you know, like there was one in Vancouver right after Christmas that got postponed uh, a a game in Winnipeg that was supposed to be happening this weekend has been postponed. Uh, And there's been a couple of home games, one with Calgary uh, just before Christmas that didn't happen. Uh, So yeah, we, we, we're seeing that here. It's like everybody else. uh, You know, I think one of the, for as far as like the franchise and the fans, I think that's new to a lot of fans. They don't understand why games are being postponed. Um, but the Kraken have had their share of, of COVID issues and guys going on the list. And I think where it really hurts the most is that the Kraken don't have a whole ton of depth, even in their system. You know, they've got seven players. I think it is at Charlotte AHL. Uh, they, they don't even have their own affiliate in the AHL yet. So they don't have a full team of players that can, they can pull up. Um, and, you know, the other day before, right after Christmas, they had a practice where they only had four defensemen who were ready to go. Um, so that would have been interesting. And yeah. then the, the, the defensemen they do have in Charlotte were also on the protocol. COVID protocol, so they, luckily they started getting some guys back in time to, to play games, but uh, it's been a challenge, you know, every every night you don't know what the lineup's going to be, sometimes you go to morning skate and then you find out so-and-so is not going to play, or, you know, Vince Dunn came back off the protocol last night, but then didn't play because he wasn't quite ready, so you never really know, and I think that's something that, that Dave Haxall and his staff have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, like we think this is what the lineup we want to go with, and you go to the rink and find out if you can, um, you know, and, and I think where it hurts the Kraken more than maybe some other teams is just the depth. They don't have the depth to call up um, and plug in. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's impacting not at, at just at the NHL level, AHL level, you know, ECHL. It's just been a, a, a trickle-down effect. That being said, what, you know, the obvious comparison or the most recent comparison for the Kraken is the Vegas Golden Knights. And how much pressure does the organization feel? You know, you, you can't just say we're going to be in the Stanley Cup final our first season. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there must have been an expectation that you're, you know, to be a playoff contender or to come out of the gate pretty hot. How 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 much do, does that help or hurt an organization when you're trying to live up to that kind of standard? I think I think it hurts in, in, in the sense of you have a, a faction of fans who maybe aren't you know, aren't the hardcore hockey fans who saw what Vegas did and maybe don't realize how much of an anomaly that was. If you recall when Vegas had their expansion draft, there were articles written about how that was a 15 win team. Yeah. Just looking, just looking at the names, no one knew William Carlson was going to go crazy like he did. And right. They were going to have the, the play that they did. You know, Mark Andre Fleury was, was kind of in the dumps. Like Pittsburgh just couldn't, couldn't get rid wait to get rid of him. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> and, and all that stuff worked for him. It was all perfect mix. And, uh, uh, I think people saw that and thought, well, that's going to happen. It's the same expansion rules, right? So we'll just do the same thing here. Those are the people that are now that are very upset and want everybody fired. <laughs> um, so I think it hurt the, the team from that standpoint where there were some unrealistic expectations put on them by some of the fans. Um, I don't think they ever said that we're going to be like Vegas. I think they were very clear that, you know, we're this is a totally different situation. And I, I think their, their goal was to be a competitive team, like you said, like if they could be in the playoff. And I always thought if they were playing meaningful games at the end of the year, that would be a smashing success. I didn't even look at them. You know, I, didn't, I don't think they had to make the playoffs to be considered a success. Just if, if they were playing games that meant something at the end of the season, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, they were definitely more concerned about, I think, the longer term, about building a team that can, can be uh, you know, competitive and successful and sustain that, not just a, a big flash in the pan. 
uh, which is why they skipped that way some of the decisions they made at the expansion draft, like not taking Vladimir Tarasenko. Like that, that's a big controversy now in Seattle yeah. amongst the fan bases. Why did they draft Vladimir Tarasenko? They struggled to score goals. He's a goal scorer, so forth. Yeah. Um, a lot of Islander fans are wondering why he's not here either. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's wanted everywhere, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't think the team ever had those unrealistic expectations. Ron Francis going to the draft, like I said, he wanted flat, cap, uh, you know, salary cap flexibility. That was his number one goal, and he got that. So now, now it's up to them to turn that into something here uh, over the next couple seasons. And uh, just last topic here, just what is. You know, obviously, this is a story that's gone national. Um, uh, the Canucks assistant equipment yeah. manager, Brian Red Hamilton, and, and the Seattle Kraken fan. Can you just, you know, tell us that story from, from your point of view and just, I guess, what that says about the hockey community, right? Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story. If anybody out there hasn't heard it, uh, so uh, Vancouver was here in town on Saturday, or yeah, Saturday. And uh, they were here the first, they opened up the arena at Climate Pledge. They were the Canucks, or the Kraken's first opponent at home. And so the Canucks, the Canucks tweeted out this letter that their, that Red Hamilton, who's their assistant equipment guy, wrote saying that he's looking for this woman who's a, who was at the game, the first game, doesn't know who she is, but she saved his life, which is a pretty dramatic way to start a letter. So apparently the story is that this woman has seats right behind the Canucks bench and uh, she's a medical student or going into medical school. And she noticed that uh, Red had a mole on the back of his neck that looked bad. It looked like it could be cancerous. And so she, she, she wrote out a note on her cell phone and banged on the glass, tried to get his attention, tried to get his attention, finally did. And she showed it to him and he kind of read it and just kind of like almost brushed it off. Like, oh, okay. And so he comes out and says, he didn't even know he had a mole on his neck. So he got this note and didn't think about it until after the game. But eventually he, he talked about it with his family and went to see a doctor. Sure enough, it was a malignant melanoma. Wow. And they, they caught it early enough to where they got rid of it. You know, they could get, get it out of him. And he, so he doesn't have, he's cancer free now and everything. And so he wanted to meet this. He wanted to find out who this woman is because he wants to thank her. And so they put, everybody put the word out. Everybody, everybody on Twitter responded and retweeted it. And uh, somehow somebody in a, there's a, a Facebook fan page for the Kraken for, uh, for women only. It's like the ladies of the Kraken or Kraken ladies or something like that. And they were talking about it. They're, apparently uh, this girl's mother or someone's mother is in that fan group. I said, oh, my God, that's my daughter. That's our season tickets. Yeah, uh, She's an amazing person. They, they tried calling her to tell her this was all happening. She was she was sleeping because the night before she had volunteered at a, at a suicide hotline all night. Wow. <laughs> on New Year's <laughs> Eve. And uh, she had just been accepted to a bunch of medical uh, schools. So she has some choices now. So they 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 were already planning on going to the game because they have season tickets. And so uh, they they arranged a reunion. It was, it was pretty. It was pretty emotional. You know, they 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 have it on video of them hugging and talking and laughing. And then during the game, they they introduced her on the, the jumbotron. It's kind of told the story really quickly, much quicker than I am. But uh, it was just during a timeout. But uh, they shocked her by saying the Canucks and the Kraken got together and they're giving her ten thousand dollars for medical school expenses. Uh, her reaction to that was brilliant. Like she, she kind of was looking around, like what? <laughs> like she had no idea that was coming. So it was a pretty cool thing, you know, pretty cool moment. And uh, you know, it just it's it's nice to see that on New Year's Day something nice and and good and happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good to start off a new year with a story like that. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, listen, Andy. Um, I, I appreciate this. I, I hope to. You know, we can chat more when whenever I come out there. And yeah. obviously the Kraken 
are scheduled to come to uh, UBS Arena later in January. So one way or another, Jordan Everly will get that revenge. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully Matt Barzell makes it out to Seattle soon enough. Yeah, that would be great. We're, we're looking forward to seeing him. All right. Andy, I, I really appreciate your time and uh, all the best. Happy New right. Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. So my thanks uh, again to Andy Ide for, for that knowledge and certainly looking Forward to chatting with him more when the Islanders do play the Kraken. And there is a game scheduled between those two at UBS Arena on Saturday afternoon, January 29th. And just to follow up on some of the stuff Andy and I talked about, uh, Matthew Barzell was asked about, um, you know, his anticipation and excitement for finally playing an NHL game in Seattle. He was asked this after Wednesday's practice. So here's uh, Matt Barzell's answer to that subject. It'll be exciting. I, I was really looking forward to that game. One, just because I have ties to Seattle from junior, but just going into a, a new team's new rink and new city, uh, new fan base, I think that would have been fun for the group. And, uh, you know, Seattle's got some, some cool parts of downtown that it would have been Fun for our guys to go check out. And now, your questions as we move on to Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. The number one subject was um, the Islanders lineup going forward and and certainly Kyle Palmieri's role within that. And uh, I'll start off with a couple here uh, from Uncle B., who says, with Kiefer Bellows starting to produce as all the forwards are getting healthy, who do you leave out of the lineup since you cannot, you really cannot take Bellows out? Palmieri, Parisi, Bailey, God forbid, Wallstrom, who was also hot before COVID protocol got him. Good but tough problem. And, and John uh, Hogg says, um, despite what the fans think, Palmieri is playing when healthy. So looking back at Saturday's lineup, uh, Palmieri, Nelson, and Oliver Wallstrom come in. What three come out if everyone's healthy? And then also, uh, let's see, Jack Anton wants to know, at what point will Barry Trotz play the most worthy 12 forwards and six defensemen and not the biggest contracts and or veteran status? And uh, Max Scherzer, the Mets, says, is there any chance Barry Trotz plays Austin Zarnick over Palmieri until Austin Zarnick uh, cools down. Um, so let me let me just sort of uh, zigzag my way through all of this. Um, I I'm going to take Barry Trotz's statement. Um, he was asked, uh, I forget after which game. I think it was uh, uh, after the the win over the Sabers, um, right before the the, the New Year's. Um, on December 30th, uh, Barry Trotz was asked uh, about Kyle Palmieri and when he might, because uh, Kyle's been injured, um, what Kyle's status was. And Kyle is, has started practicing again with the team. And, and, and what John is referring to there is Barry Trotz said that, you know, there was no guarantee Kyle Palmieri comes back into the lineup uh, when he you know, when everyone is healthy and, and Kyle's healthy. And, and I got to be honest with you, I I, I, I sort of think Barry is going to follow through on that, um, at least for the short term. I don't think you can take 
Kiefer Bellows out right now, and and I certainly, uh, I certainly think Oliver Wallstrom has done nothing to come out of the lineup. So I, you know, you put him back in as well, um, and you got Brock Nelson coming in. So you got three players coming in as I see it, and that's Wallstrom. Uh, I'm doing my math incorrectly because uh, Bellows was in already, but Nelson and Wallstrom certainly are coming in, and and. Who's coming out? Well, I, I sketched down some lines, and and look, uh, Clarence Screaming Buffalo, Swamp Town, I will get to your point in a minute, and you're probably going to uh, lose your collective mind when I, I, I answer this, but it does get to your question, uh, Clarence uh, Screaming Buffalo. And by the way, isn't it nice that the Islanders are winning at UBS Arena uh, because they play the, their victory song is uh, uh, that Maxine Nightingale song that you know I so associate with uh, Slapshot. So every time the Islanders win, I just want to you know race home and watch Slapshot again. But anyway, I digress. I I, I penciled in these lines, and I I have Anders Lee. Or I have Matt Barzell with Anders Lee on the left. And yes, uh, Screaming Buffalo, I do have Josh Bailey on the right. I will talk about that. Um, I got Brock Nelson with Bellows and Anthony Beauvillier. I've got J.G. Pajot with Zach Parisi and Oliver Wallstrom. And I've got Casey Sezikis with Cal Clutterbuck. And either Ross Johnson or Matt Martin, probably Matt Martin to start, although... uh, Every time Ross Johnson goes in, you know, you see some stuff where you say, you know, he he could be playing more games than he is playing. And, like, to me, the one glaring absence there is I've got to take Austin Zarnick out and uh, through no fault of, uh, of his own. Austin, every time he gets into the Islanders lineup, he just proves that he deserves another game in there. Um, but... If he's going to play center, who are you taking out? Um, you know, you're not taking out Barzell, Nelson, Peugeot, or Sezikis. Now, I, I suppose you could put Zarnik on a wing. If Austin is on a wing, you, you, do you play him with Peugeot and and Oliver Wallstrom instead of Zach Parisi? The problem is there, I, I know Zach only has one goal, but he's one of the hardest workers. Every time you look at the ice, uh, Zach Parisi's legs are going, and he's also a valued uh, uh, a penalty killer, and he's also playing, uh, you know, in front of the crease on, on the power play, and the power play is going right now. So I, I don't think there are any thoughts of taking Zach Parisi out of the lineup. And, and if that's the case, uh, I, I don't see where Austin Zarnick uh, fits in, but. You know, right now, uh, you know, I like I said, I, I, I think the lineup, I, I think Kyle Palmer is going to have to work hard to get back into the lineup here. And, um, you know, and, and to Clarence Screaming Buffalo Swamptown's uh, question here is, why does Josh Bailey continue to see top-line minutes? The kids bust their butts more than Bailey did his entire career, uh, I think that's a little unfair there. Um, I disagree on the uh, on the effort level. I, I, I would never question Josh Bailey's effort. Obviously, the goal production is down. He needs to. He's passed up shots, and he can't do that. Um, and then when he has shot, a lot of it has just been into 
uh, goalie's stomachs. Um, that said, Josh Bailey has 11 assists, and uh, that's uh, second on the team, I believe, behind Matt Barzell. He is contributing. And why, why you leave him on Matt Barzell's line is it goes back to something that Barry Trotz said uh, last month which is Matt Barzell can be a very hard player to play with, and, and you need a person who kind of intrinsically understands and anticipates what Matt Barzell might do. And this was in, uh, in reaction to a question as to why wouldn't you just put Oliver Wallstrom on Matt Barzell's right wing and, and give Matt that, that lethal shot on that line. And Barry Trotz was trying to say as gently and as kindly as you could, that right now he just doesn't see that fit there between Wallstrom and Barzell as far as Wallstrom, who's only 21, um, you know, really starting to get his footing in the NHL, being able to anticipate well enough what Matt Barzell is doing. And, 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 and Barry Trotz wants Wally with a more quote-unquote predictable, you know, typical center. And that would be a, a Brock Nelson or a J.G. Pajot. Um, so, again, you, you know, you're putting Bailey there um, just because, and, and again, you know, just relaying what the coach is saying, because Bailey understands how to play with Barzell uh, the best, as does Anders Lee. And, and maybe you can argue Anthony Beauvillier could be a candidate with that line, but he, he seems to work best with uh, Brock Nelson. And I think Bo and, and Kiefer Bellows were a pretty good combination in the last game. I'd like to see those two together. But uh, right now, for me, um, it, it would be Zarnik out, you know, just – Again, through no fault of his own, just a numbers game. And Kyle Palmieri, who has to earn his roster spot again, or his, his lineup spot again. And then, you know, you take your pick between Matt Martin and uh, and Ross Johnson, and I sort of feel like Barry Trotz is going to stick with Matt Martin when it comes to, a, you know, an either-or question there. Um, Connor Hickey asks, would Trotz consider uh, Palmieri on the fourth line to replace Martin? And Connor adds, who it sounds like should have surgery regarding Matt Martin. And look, the ankle issue uh, that Matt Martin has, it seems like it's going to be a lingering one all season and and not playing doctor. But, you know, it, it does sound like that is an eventuality. But for now, the Islanders and Matt Martin, uh, you know, with some maintenance and uh, monitoring, they believe Matt Martin can play through this. And I, I, I do think, you know, it's not a bad suggestion uh, putting Kyle uh, with Cal Clutterbuck and, uh, and uh, Casey Sezikis. Um, you know, I, I, I would not be opposed to that if you're telling me Matt Martin is probably, you know, not at 100%, which he isn't, and, and is, you know, not able to be as effective as he needs to be. But for now, I, I, I think Matt Martin uh, stays in the lineup, and uh, that's one of the spots Kyle might find himself in uh, to, to regain his, uh, his lineup spot. Um, Bren says, with, with a full, healthy lineup, does Bellow stay in the lineup, stay in with his recent play? And I say yes. Um, now, Dan, Dan asks, I've noticed... 
uh, before Matt Barzell went into COVID protocol that Anders Lee was taking the faceoffs on the top line. Any idea why, uh, since Barzell is the center, uh, perhaps a lefty-righty preference based on where the faceoff is? And yes, that is that is certainly one of the factors in there. But also, um, I, I think it just frees Matt Barzell up a little bit more. Um, and look, uh, face-offs is one of the things that, uh, Matt Barzell just has to improve upon. Um, and uh, the coaching staff just, uh, certainly in the offensive zone, uh, feels like they might get a better start with Anders Lee taking the face-off. Uh, they, they have a better chance of retaining the puck there. But yeah, I've noticed that too, uh, that Anders Lee is taking the bulk of those types of lineups. Um... Johnny Kamen asks, when do you think the Islanders' Western Canada trip will be rescheduled? And I, I, I sort of think they're going to put that in February. And I, I sort of think it might be an extended trip because the Islanders uh, also have uh, their, Califor- their three games in California. And I think there's also the, uh, the Colorado trip. Uh, in February too, towards the end of February, um, it would make sense to me. Although that would be, you know, you're talking about a team that already had a 13 game road trip. That would be really long. But uh, yeah, the the Islanders are scheduled to go to San Jose on February 24th, LA on the 26th, and that's a back to back with Anaheim on February 27th. And then bleeding into March, on March 1st, they uh, play the Colorado Avalanche in Denver. Um, You've got that Olympic break, which is now not used for the Olympics. And uh, uh, the the Islanders, 10 games postponed. They've, uh, uh, if you throw uh, the Columbus game now in on January 18th, you're still looking at... uh, um, what is it? Nine games, I believe. Uh, I believe it's nine games. The Islanders still have to fit into their schedule, and their their last game is February first. There's the All Star break still. Uh, that weekend in Vegas, the third, fourth, fifth. Um, but I presume teams are going to start playing either the seventh or the eighth. So between February 7th and February 22nd, how many games can you fit in? Um, I, I certainly think one of those weeks, and again, I'm not looking at the you know the Vancouver and the arena availability there, but that would be my expectation when you get uh, you know when you put in a long road trip because you know trying to fit it into the March or April, schedule would take some serious uh, surgery. Uh, Brian G says, um, with all of these games to make up, I'm guessing the season will be extended by a week or so. And the AHL did extend its regular season by six games, but uh, so far, no inclination from the NHL that they're thinking about that, or I'm sure they're thinking about it and they're, uh, you know, going over different scenarios, but so far, no inclination uh, that that's the way they're going to go. Although, I, I think if any more games do get postponed here, I think it's going uh, it's going to be either one of two things, that either they hold fast to April 29th and not every team can get to 82 games or they do extend the season. Um, 
AZ asks, any inklings that the NHL will expand the playoff format again due to COVID issues? What would it take for that to happen? I don't think they're going to expand the playoff format, even if they have to push uh, the regular season into May because the NHL desperately is trying to get back to you know their normal September uh, through early June schedule as much as possible. I don't think they're looking to extend or expand the playoffs in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, author Sal says, if the NHL does not complete its 82-game season due to COVID, is there any chance the NHL will do a round-robin tournament for playoff seating as in 2020? That may be the best way for the Islanders to get in. And uh, I, I agree with the second part of that. That may be the best way for the Islanders to get in. But I don't think, uh, again, I don't think the NHL is looking to add games or, or, or add to the schedule. Um Sam uh, Felon says, in your opinion, will the Islanders make the playoffs? Uh, you heard my uh, soliloquy at the start of this podcast uh, about that. I think it's doable. I don't think it's going to be easy. You're going to have to knock out, in my opinion, either the Penguins or the Bruins. Um, they're going to have to play at an incredibly high rate of points gathering. Um John Wisniewski says, um, why did management so misplay the Leo Komarov situation? And uh, look, yeah, uh, Leo certainly could have been used um, during the COVID-19 outbreak, during the, uh, during the spate of injuries, when, when, when the Islanders were just struggling to, to dress a representative lineup. But, you know, that's sort of 2020 hindsight. Um, I, I don't know if I would characterize it as misplay. Um, you, you couldn't, uh, to that extent, uh, anticipate the COVID-19 situation. Uh, certainly everyone thought that not just the Islanders or the NHL, but, uh, there was a lot of thought that we were rounding the corner on this thing and things were going to get better, not, uh, you know, go, go crazy as they have. Um, and look, Leo, Leo, there was no desire on Leo's part to, to play the rest of the season in the AHL, which is where it was heading after he was waived. And, uh, you know, one of Lou Lamarillo's qualities is an incredible loyalty, uh, to his players. And, uh, I'm sure Leo asked, uh, to be able to, to go back to the KHL where he could play regularly uh, rather than go to the AHL. And I think that was, uh, you know, just a, a a personal humane decision on Lou Lamarillo's part. If you want to call that misplaying it based on what happened, uh, I, I still think that's a stretch. Um, you know, it, it was a cap situation. Uh, they, they couldn't, you know, uh, where Leo's uh, salary figure wasn't fitting where they were. Um, you do things. You always miss some. You, know, you can always say, oh, I, I wish we had this player in this situation. Uh, Leo is a bit of a special case because of how beloved he was or is uh, by his teammates and management and, and, and an effective player uh, when he was in there. But, you know, to, to call it a misplay, I'm not... I'm not 100% sold on that. Um, uh, 
Isles, yes, 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 says, are the Islanders carving out a new quote-unquote identity as they improve off the rough start? Do you think Johnson and uh, Ross Johnson and Austin Zarnick are looking to be that for the team? And yeah, uh, obviously uh, uh, Ross and Austin Zarnick are, are, are very strong identity players. I don't think it's a new identity. They're just getting back to what, the way they like to play, and that's a, a strong four check with a good, you know, uh, defensive structure and, and being comfortable playing in close games. That's, that's their identity. Um, and you know, Ross and, 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 and Austin fit that mold, but you know, when, when healthy, there's just not really places in the lineup for him. Um, Mike Krugman asks, given the Islanders' payroll for next season, what are the chances Scott Mayfield is back and what do you estimate his contract will be? And just a a little confusion. Uh, Obviously, uh, Scott Mayfield has one more year on his incredibly team-friendly deal. He's uh, got a five-year, $7.25 million deal with a cap hit of $1.45 million, and that runs through 23. So he's he's signed through next season, but uh, don't kid yourself. Uh, Scott Mayfield's next contract is going to be, you know, they'll probably pay him in the four point five to five point five million range. That's just what you know experienced defensemen go for. Um, you know, maybe maybe you get him at under five million. Maybe you know, maybe even get him a little bit under four point five if he stays with the Islanders and takes more of a team-friendly number, but uh, the number will jump up considerably from $1.45 million on the cap hit. And it really, it's a matter of, you know, how much, if any, the, the salary cap does go up uh, for, for that summer. And uh, Omicron has, has certainly potentially uh, thrown a wrench into that. It was going to go up uh, the cap by $1 million for next season. Um, and if that's, you know, if that's the trend, if it doesn't go up considerably, um, the Islanders may have trouble, uh, given, you know, their other defensemen on the roster, uh, being able to pay Scott Mayfield that kind of money. Um, uh, Melissa says, do you think the trade deadline gets moved? Uh, it's March 21st. I, I really don't, Melissa. Um, Again, I, I don't think the NHL is looking to extend anything. I, I think they're trying to get everything done by April 29th, uh, come heck or high water. Um, Andre Minasayan says, Do you think with the stop-start nature of the season, Lou will just stand packed and then go big game, and then go big game hunting for Johnny Gaudreau or Philip Forsberg in the offseason or Hampus Lindholm for D. Uh, the other issue is, does Lou deal one or more of Bo Bailey or even Palmieri, who has uh, not been good? Um, I will never predict Lou to just stand pat. Um, I, I just won't. Uh, I think Lou is always looking and always trying to make a move, whether he... Lou is also... Uh, there, there are two issues there. One, Lou is always looking to make a move, and, and Lou is also one of the most disciplined GMs I've ever met in terms of not making a move just to make a move. I think there are plenty of GMs who, who do that 
sometimes either to just shake up stuff or, or yes, to satisfy a, you know, a, a fan base. And uh, Lou, Lou doesn't fall into that, that trap at all, but that, you know, he is one of the more aggressive, active GMs you'll see. Um, I think if the Islanders are continuing to play as they have since the start of December, Lou will do everything he can to improve the team for a playoff push, not stand pat or, or even be a seller. And you can, you know, there, there are opportunities to sell. Cal Clutterbuck is in uh, the final season of his deal. And I would say, uh, given the cap situation, getting him back into the fold would probably be doubtful at this point for next season. So you could say you you might want to trade Cal and get something for him before the trade deadline, but that would significantly put a dent in what the Islanders are trying to do in terms of identity. And Cal has played really well this season. Amongst that line, uh, the identity line, he's been the steadiest player. Um, so I don't think Lou would uh, would look to deal Cal uh, under those cases. I, I do think, like I said, Lou is going to look for a defenseman here to, to bolster that core. Um, let's see, Kevin, uh, Ken Connolly says, is there any updated timetable for Ryan Pulak's return? And, you know, unfortunately, no. Um, and like I said, that's a little bit concerning. Uh, Thomas Boyle says, uh, do you see Ryan Pulak returning to the lineup when the Islanders come off this long break and when he comes back, who sits? And there's still time for Ryan Pulak to start practicing with the team. There's still a week before their next game as I record. But I I will say this, at this point, I I would think it's doubtful that Ryan Pulak uh, faces the Devils uh, with with how this is going. if he does come back, who sits? And I, I know, you know, there's probably a, a big contingent of people who would like me to say he's Dano Char there, but uh, I'm going to say it's it's going to be Robin Sallow uh, or Sebastian Ajo. Who, well, it's it's been uh, Robin Sallow in the lineup lately, but that spot, the uh, Sallow Ajo spot, um, uh, Pulak comes in, and I think Barry uh, and the staff is very comfortable with that that top six uh, veterans they have there. Uh, And I'm including Noah Dobson now uh, as a veteran, I guess. (laughs) And uh, happy birthday, Noah Dobson, who turns 22 this week. Um, That is enviable. Uh, Let's see. uh, uh, Mike uh, Ruich, uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, says, when will Barry Trotz return to the Islanders bench? Uh, I certainly expect Barry to be back on January 13th for that uh, for that Devils game. And uh, Jonathan S. says uh, the team played well with Lane Lambert coaching. Hopefully everything is okay with Barry Trotz and he's back soon. Does Lambert uh, being acting each uh, head coach for that game and some practices change anything in terms of him staying with the Islanders or getting a head coaching gig somewhere next season? I think, you know... It's just one game, um, and Lane Lambert has a very good reputation around the the NHL. Um, Barry has been pushing him to get a a head coaching job for a long time. Uh, He's gotten two interviews in 2016 with the Avalanche, 2019 with the Ducks. I think he's on short lists for teams. Uh, It's just a matter of, uh, you know, the opportunities, the openings. 
um, how he interviews, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, he's going to be a candidate. I would suspect he's going to be candidates for jobs. But, uh, you know, also teams, yeah, can look at this little stretch and see how the team stuck together with Lean in charge. And, you know, every little bit helps. So I don't think it can hurt Lane Lambert's, uh, you know, uh, desire or, 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 you know, hope of being a head coach in the NHL. Um, and we'll, we'll finish up with Ratman who Ratman 023. I'm sorry. How is the ice been at UBS arena? I'm glad you asked that. I've been, I've been trying to figure out how to throw out that question during the zoom conferences and it just never seems to work. I always, you know, you don't get a, you, you, you don't get unlimited questions in a Zoom setting. You know, if I have six or seven questions in a row, uh, that would certainly be one of my questions. But if I, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, two, three, four questions, I, I usually on a daily basis have other stuff to ask about. But from where I've been sitting up in the press box, the ice has looked good. Um, you don't see the pucks bouncing much. And I know they they made a heavy investment uh, in the ice making uh uh, infrastructure there with the machines and, and, and all that. And, uh, uh, tangentially or anecdotally, or just looking at it, I, I, I'd say the ice uh, relative to many of the NHL arenas, I think the ice has been pretty good at UBS. And, uh, you know, again, that is something I would like to ask the players at some point, if I can, uh, fit that in. Um, so that's it for episode 121 of Newsday's Island Ice podcast. Uh, for any Islanders content, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles. And also please find me on Twitter at agrosnewsday. And until the next episode, and I promise there won't be such a long gap again, happy hockey, everybody, and please stay safe.